everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 112 of the show, where we are smack in the middle of, is it December 1965? It is. We've only got That's, like one and a half more episodes to go on it, I think, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, we are nearing the end of yet another calendar year, stoked and excited, um, because, well, it's funny, we have something really, really cool. We're hitting a really cool milestone we're hitting next episode. But I was reading for it this week, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we actually got here. More on that next week, though. This week, oh we gosh. are also talking about some cool things. That made that got me so excited, and I have no idea what you're talking about. So it'll be yeah. fun to find out. Well, I'll give you a hint. Okay. It starts with a G. A G. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Okay, and, yeah, that is a pretty big milestone. And the name of the episode is going to be G stands for nom nom nom. <laughs> and you want to know what's crazy is I don't think I've ever read that. So that is going to be exciting. Awesome. awesome. I've read like flashback retellings of it, but not the actual issue. So, Well, that that's next week, kids and cadets and kiddos in yeah. between. Um, we are going to be covering this episode, Sergeant Fury 27, Tales of Suspense 75, Strange Tales 142, and The Avengers 25. It's a big stack of comics, and I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but sorry, this episode is going to suck because it's the next episode you guys want to tune into. Yeah, I mean, if you just want to like, to, like fast forward to next week, that's <laughs> yeah. totally cool. We understand. This, this one's not going to have the big G in it, but that's okay. No. There are there are a lot of new characters, though, so that'll be interesting. Yeah, if you if you want to find the G spot, that's going to be next week. <laughs> I knew you. I just set you up for that, didn't I? <laughs> sorry. I am sorry. Sometimes. Uh, that's all right. I try really hard to not be 12 on this show, but sometimes the 12-year-old comes out. Those are the best jokes. I did not know what that was when I was 12. Okay, so Sergeant Fury 27 trapped in Hitler's Reichland. Fury fights alone. At last, the origin of Fury's eye patch. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I was wondering what your reaction was going to be to this. (laughs) Uh, You'll find out. Yeah. Featuring, among a few other things, the origin of Nick's eyepatch, which he wears today in the great Strange Tales, featuring Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, the tale you ordered us to tell. I will actually believe that hype. The Nazis yeah. have, right? Because, like, yeah. where did his eyepatch come from? Seems Absolutely. like the sort of thing that they be writing. The Nazis have developed a strange new weapon for shooting down Allied bombers. Instead of a gun, it's a deadly, infallible beam of light. The Howler's mission, destroy the fatal beam at all costs. Script, Stanley. Art, Dick Ayers. Delineation, John Tartaglioni. Lettering, S. Rosen, who says we can't be serious. Okay, so we just like dive right into this action of this. I actually had to go back to the previous issue to see if um, there was like a cliffhanger or something. But we are parachuting into, um, into Germany. And we immediately find a Jeep and beat up the people in the Jeep and commandeer the Jeep. Uh, we are heading to stop this evil light. And we see it come up like a periscope while there's a, a, a bombing happening from allies overhead. The Basically, it's just like a lantern. Mm-hmm. It's like a lantern on a pole. It's a street lamp. It's like a red light special at Walmart, kind of. It is. Except it's red, uh, but not blue. I expect Mr. Tumnus to show up because it's just a lamppost. And um, it shines the light and it breaks the plane. The plane stops operating and crashes to the ground and people jump out of it as it goes down. So the um, 
allies find uh, someone in charge in the area and they try to beat him up and make him tell them what's going on. And they're like, no, I'm not going to betray Germany. If you try to sabotage the light, you'll all be killed. Uh, so I should tell you about it so that you can all die. <laughs> Circular logic, yes. Right, right. So they all go to sabotage the light. Um, German officer finds a grenade, uh, pulls the pin and throws it. But Nick Fury catches it to keep his friends from getting hit, throws it back, and it explodes near his eye. So his eye is injured, and they wrap, they, they put a, uh, some padding on it and wrap a bandage around it. And for the rest of the issue, he's sporting a uh, makeshift eye patch. Um, but, you know, what's his name? Not Dick Ayers. What's Dean Manelli? Dino Manelli. Mm-hmm. Dino Manelli is there with the uh, medical abilities, so he gets uh, Fury all wrapped up. So anyways, um, they keep on, you know, going through Germany, trying to figure out, you know, what to do. Uh, I think Nick actually sends the guys back. He basically tells them to run while he holds it off with the bazooka, and then he's stuck. That's right. He, he's stuck, and they're not. So right. So he he is he has made the last stand for his his men to get away. So now he's in Germany trying to find a way to get out. Um, he finds uh, a German like nobleman, or at least a wealthy man, a man who's dressed like he knows what he's about. He uh, beats him up and takes his clothes. Um, the next time a jeep comes by, he flags it down to hitch a ride. Later, this, the, the, the man in his red pajamas comes out and says, Hey, help me. And they're like, How did you get here? What are you doing here? You are not a German. We kill you. So they, um, they kill him. Um, Sergeant Fury has made his way to a dinner with some actual Nazi bigwigs. Uh, Goering is there. If you uh, know your World War II history, he is a rather high up person in, uh, World War II Germany. And, um, they're having a dinner and there's like a lower ranking officer who's serving the drinks. His name is Eric and he gets made fun of a lot for being a bumbling incompetent in his serving of the drinks. So anyways, they're all talking and making fun of Eric. Uh, Nick Fury is there and he like starts a fight, makes fun of him, starts a fight. Um, there's fighting. The Nazis pull a gun on Fury he and Eric leave because Eric realizes that he does not want to get made fun of anymore. So he actually points the gun at his boss and leaves with Fury. They get into a plane, a two-seater. So Fury is actually depending upon Eric for help. And they fly out of the, um, the fatherland back at the base in England. Um, Sawyer is like, you know, trying to figure out what to do. You're going to go back to Germany. Sergeant McGivney is going to lead a group. You're going to find um, a doctor. I forget exactly what. Anyway, Sergeant Fury shows up in the middle of it all. And uh, they're like, all right, cool. You're alive. That's great. Meanwhile, they uh, get a narration at the end that Sergeant Fury's eye condition, um, they were able to do some surgery on it to help restore his vision. But it is a deteriorating condition. And there will come a day when the eye stops functioning altogether, at which time he'll, um, he might want to patch it. And that's the end. Yeah, basically he could either have had it fixed fully, but then he'd be out of commission for a year. Mm-hmm. For the healing process or whatever. And he didn't want to not fight Germans for a year. Or they could just patch it and he'd be cool in a week, but then it would deteriorate over time or something. Mm-hmm. So whatever that magical symptom is, or you know, condition is, I don't know. But so one thought I had before uh-huh. I read this for the first time, 
uh, I was very curious to see if or how they were going to allow for the continuity of uh-huh. Fury not having an eye patch in that one issue of the Fantastic Four. Right. Me too. Issue 21 back in 1963. And apparently that was exactly what they had in mind as well, because they mentioned that in 1963, his eye is going to cut out on him again. Um, so what are your thoughts on the explanation? Well, like you, I thought, are they just going to ignore it? Like up until the last page, I honestly was like, wow, maybe they're just going to ignore it. Maybe this is our first major, you know, mess up retcon thing, you know? But then they saved themselves with the whole deterioration business. But I don't know. It kind of felt like a little weak sauce because I can't figure out how that would work for one. And two, I don't know much about eye patches, but doesn't it have to like be missing or at least horribly scarred or something in order to want to wear an eye patch? Would you need an eye patch if your eye just didn't work? Or, um, you know what I mean? Like, the, why do you need an eye patch if you have an you eye? You make a good point with that. Yeah. If, if, if it doesn't look bad, would you need the eye patch? But if the eye is going to slowly deteriorate, Mm-hmm. Until it's not working, maybe like maybe it doesn't move with the other oh, eye. Or the muscles there you stop go. working. Yeah, it's like rolled um, in the back of his head or something. Yeah. So if there's anything visually disconcerting about it, I can see why he'd want to patch it. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. That's probably true. I don't know if I've ever we've ever seen what his eye looks like under there, other than in the movie. Yeah, and there's that one animated thing where he opens up and there's another mouth behind oh. his eye patch. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's a whole thing. I don't know. They saved themselves, I guess. But I kind of rolled my eyes when I read it, is my first reaction. A little bit, a little bit. I I almost would have preferred he kept an eye patch in Sergeant Fury and come up with a weak sauce explanation for why he's not wearing an eye patch in that one issue. Yeah, like maybe the CIA fitted him with a dang blasted stupid robot eye and he tried it, but then it was like dang blasted stupid, so he took it out. Right, right. That would make sense. That would be more fun and more like in character for him that he didn't like the tech, so he just put an eye patch on. But oh well, okay, so now we know the official origin, it was a grenade, which also, by the way, isn't all that exciting. I mean, it's not as exciting as an alien cat beast. Right, there's no flurkin in this. There's no flurkin, it's just like, he saved his crew, which is cool, but you know, grenade, like, I kind of thought like, maybe it'd be a more interesting reason, for some reason. Maybe where's the flurkin should be the title of the episode. (laughs) Where's the flurkin, yeah. Where the flurk is the (laughs) flurkin. Okay, so the whole... The whole, like, evil beam of light in the opening narration, uh-huh. I really was expecting it to be like a laser. Yeah. Because remember when lasers were, they were at one point a new thing? Uh-huh. A uh, laser beam. Right. Yes. But no. But what does it do? It just, it ba- it hangs and loot. Then they, lo- oh, it, it, uh, boy, I'm just stuttering away. It, like, um, turns their engine off, I guess, right? Is that what it does? I guess it's like a low budget Flash Gordon or old series Doctor Who thing. You like wave a light over something and turn the mm. light off and the thing falls to the ground. Yep, that's what's happening. They're just losing control and it stalls and they crash. So, yeah. Okay. In a way, that's not even like the greatest weapon in the world. I guess it's kind of cool in terms of defense because you could just post those kind of lights everywhere. But in terms of attack, what do you do? Go in there with a light on your airplane because that would just make your airplane crash, you know? Like, I don't know. It's not like a laser. It'd be better if it was a laser. Yeah, I like the laser idea. I don't know when lasers started, because that would have started me looking at, when did lasers develop? But I didn't look that up, because it turned out to be a lamppost. Yeah. Um, I did appreciate that the Germans were speaking German, and it wasn't all stilted and gross. Yes, finally. For the first time, they instead give you a caption that says, just assume they're speaking German, and they just let them speak English. Right. It was great. In fact, there's a scene later where Fury's listening in on them, and I started to say... 
did they forget they were speaking German because now Fury can understand them? Mm-hmm. But then there's a throwaway line about how he can only understand every other word. He can understand English, to- yeah. He can understand German, he just can't speak it. Right. Which makes sense. He's been behind enemy lines long enough now. Maybe he'd start picking it up a little bit. Yeah, picking up every other word, you know, that's that's kind of natural. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the guy who loses his clothes and then gets shot down by the Nazis. Uh-huh. Fury likes, I'm sorry, Kirby. No, it's not even Kirby anymore. It's Ayers. Ayers likes to kill people and Stanley then unkills them. Totally. This is a definite just gun down of this guy. Because they didn't believe him that he's an actual German. They think he's the spy, maybe, or mm-hmm. faking it. And it totally looks like he's dead. And then there's just this dialogue of, I shot him in the legs. Take him to the infirmary. Right. <laughs> I'm innocent, innocent. Oh, why well, he's lying there dead. Uh, it's kind of weird. I guess, I don't know, were they trying? Do you think, like, they would draw this and then, like, they'd run it through the people who do the, uh... oh, my gosh, there is no, there's no uh, Comics Code Authority yet, is there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Comics Code's been around for 10 years at this point. Okay. Oh, there it is. Approved by the comics code. I couldn't see it on the cover. Do you think they like run it by and then they're like, no, no, you can't do that. So then they have to change the dialogue. Um, you know, the comics code is available to be read. I feel like death was allowed as long as it was only like bad guys could die. I don't yeah. know exactly how it's phrased. And it's an off camera shot. It's not like you're seeing him being gunned down. It's a before and after panel. Maybe it's kind of like the F-bomb in a PG-13 film. Like there's only so much you can do. Mm-hmm. Or maybe he's just playing it safe. I don't know. Maybe it's it's yeah. It's better to play it safe and not have to answer any CCI questions than to get the work sent back and have to like redo it. Do you think the ten year old reading it was like, oh, that guy's dead? I would. They, or you think they just <laughs> believe that he's got a leg injury because <laughs> he looks dead? But anyway, I don't know. Actually, I, I say I would. I, <laughs> I I feel like I'd probably just read whatever's there and keep on going and not really yeah. care that much. But there's such there's such a vibe of that scene in Monty Python's I'm not dead yet. I feel happy. <laughs> He's laying there I'm dead. Getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, go ahead. What I wanted to mention Eric like at the very last scene, but you go ahead with the oh, thing before that. Well, right before that, I think my most excited bit in this comic was the idea of, of Bull leading the howlers. And then yes. it's like, that's at the very end. So, of course, it didn't really happen. It was just like all a threat. And there's this drama about the threat. And then Nick shows up and it's all okay. And no, we don't have to do that because he brought the scientists they were going to have to go find. That was the mission, right? That's right. Uh, there was a whole scientist. I forgot the scientist existed, but yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a Dr. Erskine uh, scientist because he's the only one who knows the, uh, the formula for making this red light thing. So that's why they want to capture him. Um, but yeah, I love that premise. And it's like, man, I really hope in the next book or, you know, some book down the road, they decide to do that for real. Cause that'd be some fun. Well, and page 18 and 19 are facing pages. So if they weren't, if, if page 18 didn't have page 19 looking at it, you might be able to believe that they were setting up a cliffhanger as you're reading the page. Right. I thought maybe they were. Cause that, cause I don't see it that way. Cause I'm doing digital. So, um, okay. So this guy, Eric, uh, huh. Remember him. We are going to see him again. Eric the traitor? Eric the traitor. Okay, yeah. He the comes pu- to England with the um, with the German officer, and okay. we, he, he asks for some sort of help to figure out how to live a life now that he's left Germany behind, and we are going to see him again. Well, maybe in a good way, because it seemed like he was trying to do the right thing here. But also, maybe he was doing it out of spite, because he hated that that scientist so much. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we don't it really know. Like it could go either way. What's his motive? You know, he could be like... Uh, the Iron Man guy, or he could just be a jerk. We'll see. Iron Man guy is in Yinsen uh, in the cave? Iron Man guy is in uh, 
Crimson Dynamo. He oh, le- yeah, yeah, legitimately yeah. tried to be a good American for a little while there. So I would be very curious if there are any optometrists out there in the audience who can vouch for Fury's condition being at all plausible. Yeah, so all we know, they didn't say what it was. All we know is that he could either fix it today permanently and be out a year or fix it temporarily and in 20 years it deteriorates. But he's out of bed in a couple weeks. So and, that's and our, the, those are our clues. And in the immediate future, the eye seems to function mostly all right. Yes, as far as I know, he's never complained about it. But maybe they're, you know, we're also not near that time for him yet. So, so before we go into the next book, mm-hmm. I was reading this. I had a random thought about a past event. Mm-hmm. Remember Hans Rolotin, the little blonde boy? Oh, sure. So his dad was spying on the Nazis, mm-hmm. and his, the boy never found out what is up with his dad. Nope. And when we said goodbye to him in issue 24, I didn't bring a lot of attention to it. Because I really thought he was going to come back later. Like, I didn't think that was the end of his story. Oh, really? I thought that was it because I just didn't know what to do with him. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's exactly. I mean, almost definitely. I double checked while reading this. He is gone. He was Um, given to, um, what's his face? His parents, right? Was it Manelli's parents? No, it was a Southern guy, Reb. Oh, yeah. Ralston's parents. Yeah, because they were. Reb Ralston. They were like uh, uh, taken hostage, all that stuff. Right, right. So he is gone. So just mm-hmm. real quick, since we didn't do this before, did you have any thoughts on his little story? It was awfully little. <laughs> yeah. uh, other than his origin story, like nothing really happened with him. I was kind of hoping there'd be some, you know, Bucky-like fun or something. But like pretty much all they, every once in a while, he'd show up in a panel and they'd say, oh, yeah, see you later, kid, and pat on him, and that's it. And I kind of felt like they set him up to have a resolution to that drama with his dad. Yeah. And that never goes anywhere. Right. Sounds so kind of weird. All you writers out there listening, looking for an idea to, to you know, dig up. Here you go. It's a weird thing that stuff that can happen super easily in real life and mm-hmm. is totally believable just doesn't actually make for an entertaining story. I think I might have been entertained for him to be reunited with his father somehow, but I don't. No, I'm saying like like the what what did happen oh, in the right. story. Yeah. Like they just they found him a home because, you know, whatever, his dad's agent decks over in the Nazis and, and let's not question never... the legalities of all that, by the way. Yeah. Like, first of all, we took him from his homeland to England, which is illegal probably, and then we took him from England to America, which is illegal, and then we just left him there to be adopted unillegally, not illegally, illegally by uh Americans or something. Yeah. I don't know. And honestly, I don't even know how strictly those lines were drawn back in I don't like, either. Yeah, I don't know. Well, anyways, that's Sergeant Fury. That's Sergeant that's, Fury. We know where his eye patch comes from now. Mm-hmm. Um, Tales of Suspense, number 75. That's a number. I forgot to mention, all of these that we're talking about tonight came out December 9th. Okay. The Fury of the Freak. Um, and there's no, like, little shoot. Oh, there kind of is. Instead of a caption, there's a thought bubble of Iron Man on the splash page. So maybe I'll just read that. It's my fault that Happy Hogan has turned into some sort of mindless, super powerful, rampaging freak. But we can't be allowed to run amok here in the power station. Too many lives could be lost if it isn't stopped. So that sort of explains it, but not really. But like he almost died because Black Knight stole him. And then Iron Man's people put him under an experimental thing that Tony Stark invented, so that's why it's Iron Man's fault, but the thing didn't heal him. It turned him into Frankenstein, basically. So, now Iron Man and and uh, the Freak are going to fight. Titanically written by Stan Lee, tremendously drawn by Adam Austin, 
tumultuous, tumultuously inked by Gary Michaels and timorously, 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 timorously by Sam Rosen. What does that mean? Fearful. Okay. Um, so yeah, they're fighting, but also if we recall last issue, he was on low power because he had lost to the Black Knight or barely won with the Black Knight. Um, and he plugged in just enough to get over to help Happy. So he's like barely able to move. They start to get in a fight. One punch from Happy though, who I should now call the freak, I guess, but that just seems rude. So I'll just keep calling him Happy. Happy punches him and he's like, oops, okay, my power sucks. I got to get out of here. So here's my only option. I could just try and feebly run away from this Frankenstein thing who luckily doesn't run very fast and maybe I could lead him to the laboratory and in the laboratory I have some cool gadgets and stuff that can maybe reverse all this so he tries that but unfortunately right before he makes it to the laboratory his transistor's kaput and he falls over and he goes unconscious uh happy is now kind of dim-witted so he just kind of stands there like I don't know what to do because the guy I was fighting isn't fighting anymore I think I won so then his mind, his limited mind starts wandering to this one chick that he likes. So he goes to try and find her, a.k.a. Pepper, who is right now being yelled at by Senator Byrd because Senator Byrd last issue wanted Iron Man's identity to be revealed so that he could have them work for the government, not just Tony Stark. And apparently he's still there shaking his fist demanding this when Happy comes in and gets all mad because it looks like Senator Byrd is yelling at Pepper, and all he knows is that he likes Pepper. So he hulks out and grabs the, uh, the senator and throws him down. He scares Pepper. She faints. Uh, he picks her up. Outside, I guess the senator goes around with an entourage of police, and they're starting to wonder why he's still in the building. So they go to investigate just in time to see happy holding the unconscious pepper in a window on like the second story and so they're like i know what we should do we should shoot him so they shoot him and he drops her but luckily iron man has been sleeping there the whole time because they didn't notice i guess and i guess sleeping helps his transistors power back up just like our human bodies so he wakes up just in time to shoot a repulsor thing, a repulsor ray at Pepper, at the falling Pepper, which slows her down. And then he's able to catch her. And then he flies into the laboratory um, and finds, I don't know, a doohickey. And he turns it on and it like is hurting Happy, but not necessarily enough to change him or stop him. And Happy keeps lumbering closer. But unfortunately, while that's happening, the doohickey is also burning Iron Man up and he has to like stand there and hold the lever. So basically it's hurting him more than it's hurting happy. It seems like, and happy gets closer and closer and reaches out and y'all just going to have to wait till the next issue. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's it. So it ends on a, uh, a note. Remember how issue 74 ended saying next issue, a turning point in the life of Iron Man. Yeah, what was that? He's he's uh, like unconscious the entire story. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of weird, right? In fact, right. in fact, this I mean things move forward, but like really we're kind of in the same boat we were last issue. Senator Bird's upset and Iron Man's being attacked by Happy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know what we learned. Nothing. Maybe that's next story. Maybe, maybe they're building to something next, next issue mm-hmm. as they were fighting and mutated happy was walking around in the hospital gown. I was thinking, okay, so this is happy Hogan uh-huh. and happy was played by John Favreau uh-huh. and he directed the first Iron Man film. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of imagining Favreau directing 
dressed like this mm. because he's in a scene like this. <laughs> he was in a hospital gown in Iron Man 3, I think. But That's true. I don't think he was directing that one, but yeah, he was. No, he didn't direct that one. Uh, yeah, this is kind of weird. It's okay. I don't know what I learned from it. The art is amazing still. But, the art uh, is still really good, and I liked the... Um, you know, the stuff with Bird and Pepper is uh-huh. still cooking nicely. And and when when Happy gets to Pepper's, the art could have easily gone into some, you know, creepy areas. Mm-hmm. And there's no hint of that. And I like that. No, he just, he just wanted her, but we don't really know. He didn't really do anything. He just picked her yeah. up. Yeah. His presence feels menacing, uh-huh. but he is not being drawn to suggest anything overly menacing. I guess it helps probably that he can't talk also because he's not saying anything weird. Now I don't, this is not the first time she's wondered about who Iron Man is, but as she's being screamed at by a bird, she does think, what is he really hiding? I don't know if she's ever thought that before. So maybe she's trying harder now. Why won't Tony Stark tell the sender who Iron Man is? Is he, what secret is he really hiding? It's a good question. Yeah. And And as far as she's concerned, Iron Man's been around and Stark's not. And now, of course, she loves Iron Man, so her whole perception is different. Yeah. You know, the opposite of what it was. So, page 11, Pepper's falling. And is it weird to shoot, like, deadly concussive blasts at her to stop her from falling? I felt like that was a little odd in the way it worked. We've never seen it work like that before, I don't think. I'm just imagining the repulsors from the movie. Well, can you imagine she's falling and he blasts those things at her to stop her? That's going to kill her. Okay. I do recall, and this is really early days, but back in his golden armor days, he was like juggling cars with these repulsors somehow. So it's not just, well, we don't have laser beams, we've established, I guess. They don't do lasers yet. So is a repulsor like just a some sort of kinetic push? And can he choose how hard he pushes? And if that's the case, can he make things hover or slow down or something? I don't know. I'm just stretching. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Um, Repulsor sounds like something that just pushes something in the opposite direction. Which is kind of what I feel like his, his thing does. And even theirs, it's, it's pushing up on her, which is therefore slowing her descent. Um, I don't think I understand why the machine is hurting Iron Man in the last page of the, pages of the story. Yeah, it says, uh, what does it say? Something like it's overheating him. It's doubling the output. But if I do, the power feedback will finish me. So this is like a really bad design when you flip the switch. First of all, only Iron Man can flip the switch, obviously. If a human being does it, they just disintegrate. That's a bad design. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it means that your machine can't be used. By <laughs> Yeah, only the Hulk can use this. <laughs> only the Hulk can Hulk the Hulk. But also it may be like kind of eye roll a little because, uh, you know, there's this weird – first of all, there's this weird medical device that Iron Man invented – and he's not even in medicine, but that's okay. But this device like, was so experimental, they had no idea what would happen. And apparently it turns you into Frankenstein. Okay, that's an unexpected side effect. Yeah, but then, it's a little bit weird. But then he also has this thing in his laboratory that, what, reverses that? Is that what he thinks this is going to do? I just realized I know why I don't like this one so much. Why? There's a, well, I don't know if it's his why, but there's a parallelism. There's a story in the original 70s run of Adam Warlock mm-hmm. where the Reed Richards of Earth 2 also gets very similarly blasted with a blasted with a ray that turns him into a monster. Mm-hmm. And they call that one the brute. And this one's the freak, but it's basically the same story idea. Mm. And I, and, and neither one of these does anything for me. There's no reason for it. I'm, I'm ready for us to get past it to the next thing. Cause yeah, I but, liked where Iron Man was, and this is just uh, a weird detour. 
Well, I thought I think the part the Black Knight stuff was pretty fun, but yeah, now it's suddenly not fun. They should have just done three parts with the Black Knight, maybe. So let's get on to better stuff. Okay, well, <laughs> I do think this is better. I could be biased, but this was pretty fun. It's Captain America, Lady Legend of World War II, 30 Minutes to Live. As we saw last issue, the red, white, and blue Avenger has just destroyed the deadly menace of the sleepers. But while falling earthward, 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 that just sounds weird either way. Cap wonders, must he pay for the monumental victory with his life? Dun, dun, dun. Why do I keep on doing that? I don't even know. Introduce, well, because it seems very serial, doesn't it? Or maybe I'm just making it that way because he's so World War II-y. But introducing Leah Kirby's newest bombastic baddie, the block-busting, should I spoil it? Beatrix! Where but at Mighty Marvel can such towering talent be assembled? Stanley's script, Jack Kirby layout, Dick Ayer's pencil, J. Tartaglioni, inks, Artie Semek, lettering, Irving Forbush, cheerleader. Okay, pause, because this is our first Irving Forbush. Comment. Heck yeah. So there's another. There's our first first for this night. There's going to okay. be more, but that's one. So, so for those who don't know, or maybe have run across the name and don't know what it is, um, everyone out there, and if you don't, you should, everyone out there knows who Alfred E. Newman is. Mm-hmm. Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. And Mad Magazine has been running since the 50s. Um, Stan Lee, at one point, I forget the name of the magazine. But at one point, Timely or Atlas or something was trying to run a magazine to compete with Mad. And Stan Lee came up with a character that he was hoping would compete with Alfred E. Newman. And he called the character Irving Forbush. Mm-hmm. And of course, no one remembers this because nobody cared at the <laughs> time. <laughs> I'm sure some people did. But um, but now in the six in 1965, moving into 1966, for whatever reason, Stanley has started like bringing back the name Irving Forbush as the sort of scapegoat and butt of jokes and lots of stuff. So he's gonna so, show up in our credits a lot, but he's already been showing up in like the bullpen bulletins and the letters columns and stuff. Alleviate a little bit off of uh Artie Semek, right? I hope so, because poor Artie. Uh, okay, so we start our story. It looks like Cap's falling to his death, but that's not where we start our story. We start our story in this mysterious laboratory with these mysterious shadows, figures, and they're looking at a miniature uh, of New York City in a glass case. And from a parachute, a miniature parachute with a little thing on the end called Inferno 42, but it's just a microscopic amount of Inferno 42, but it slowly floats down to the miniature of New York City, and the entire thing catches on fire and blows up. And the silhouette people are like, high five. Yeah, this will work. We should use this to claim the, you know, the world and stuff. And there's like, well, well, there's one problem. We don't have it. What? It was stolen by an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. back in issue, I can't remember, but it did happen. So they're like, oh, well, we should get that back then if our plan's going to work. Yeah, yeah, we should. So back to Cap falling, he pulls a uh, Winter Soldier and he lands into the water was he, he wasn't wearing a parachute, was he? No, but unfortunately, it's a little higher than Winter Soldier because he does go unconscious a little bit. But luckily, there's a freighter nearby, and they pick him up, and they're all excited. Whoa, it's Captain America. Wait on my kids. You know, all that stuff. Um, so then we just cut back to him being back at uh, in New York at Avengers Mansion, and we have some uh, sad cap moments here with some character building. He's realizing that he's got no present because he feels out of place. He doesn't even have a place he's living off of somebody else namely tony stark he doesn't have friends other than co-workers i guess 
His the only real thing he has is his memories, but he even laments that those aren't exactly accurate because you know when you've been in suspended animation for a long time, it's hard to remember things. He thinks about Bucky. He wonders what happened to Sergeant Duffy, and then he starts reminiscing about some lady that he un- doesn't name, but they're in a jeep together. And she says, I'll wait till you return, Steve, no matter how long, no matter what happens. I'll wait for you, my darling. And he goes, gee, I wonder what happened to her. And then he puts these aside. And Glenn Miller starts playing in the background. Yeah. And then he starts, um, well, Harry James, but yes. And then uh, 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 he puts on his costume because he's like, this is the only thing that makes me feel normal. But does that mean I'm really Captain America and not Steve Rogers? I'm telling you, it's full of Cap's ad. And then he puts on an outfit and he goes out to the streets to get take a walk. And he comes across a gal. And the gal's carrying a weird cylinder. And he notices her. And he's like, she seems familiar, but I'm not sure why. I will follow her. And as he does, she runs into another a dude who also has a cylinder. And they both drop their cylinders. And when they pick him up, Steve notices that they picked up the wrong ones. So he being the chivalrous guy he is, says, ma'am, you grabbed the wrong one. That other guy has your other one. I'll go get it. She's like, no, 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 it's it's fine. Thank you for overhelping, but I'm good. Can you go? Uh, meanwhile, we cut to that man who took the wrong cylinder, and he gets out of an alleyway. This dude leaps. This dude, this French guy named Beatrick, he leaps out, and he kicks him really hard, and he takes the cylinder and immediately realizes it's not the right one, and then he goes, oh, you know what? While I was watching this guy waiting to leap on him, he ran into that girl who also has a cylinder. I bet they pulled the old switcheroo. I'm going to go after that girl. And so Cap's like kind of lingering and sort of following her, but not. And he's just like, she looks so familiar, but it can't be her because that her that I was thinking about earlier in this issue should be 20 years older by now. And this girl does not look 20 years older. So I don't understand what's going on. But before he can figure it out, he hears her scream and he hears a clang. So he turns to Captain America and he rushes in and he sees Beatrix trying to take her cylinder. So he attacks but Beatrick does a cool, like, French flip and knocks him on his butt and then, like, salutes. And it's really funny. Um, but that doesn't make Cap laugh because he gets up and he, like, beats the tar out of Beatrick and then smacks him against the wall. And he says, what's going on? Tell me. And then they notice that the girl ran away with the cylinder. And Beatrick's like, you know what? Actually, never mind. I'm not going to be a bad guy anymore. I'm going to help you. And he's like, why? Because that cylinder is going to, like, blow up all of New York. And I think uh, when I dropped it, when you punched me, it started glowing. So now she's running around with like an armed uh, cylinder full of that stuff. So we need to both go find her. And that's where it ends. More first appearances. More first appearances. Two, three. Three if you count Irving? Four if you count Irving. Who's the third one? Uh, am I counting this wrong? Beatrick, mm-hmm. Irving, Peggy, mm-hmm. and Sharon. Oh, Peggy and Sharon. Okay. I mean, I it's a really minuscule drawing of Peggy, but technically that's her first appearance, right? Yeah, it's the first time we've seen her, the first time we've we've alluded to her, mm-hmm. other than possibly if that one Agent 13 in the, in the origin story was her. And if you want to, we could also say this is Sergeant Duffy's first modern appearance, right? No, it's not. Uh, no, 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 no. We've got I World lie. War II stuff before. I forgot we did World War II stuff. Never mind. So it's funny because, you know... They're going to give this bad guy a backstory eventually, and we're going to find out he's actually the love child of Batman and Dwayne the Rock Johnson, which is why <laughs> I've always called him Batrock, mm. but 
I am totally willing to be wrong on that because, you know, well, comics what did comics. I say? Baytrick? Baytrick. Okay. So here's the thing. I think you're probably right, especially since I believe in the movie they call him Batrock. Okay. I don't know. Just my whole life, I've always called it's like the it's the thing about comics is sometimes you you don't hear these things out loud for the longest time, if ever. So I think as a child, I just always pronounced it Baytrick and I just did it again. It, what, but it probably I, is Batrock. Who knows what's Bat-truck. right or wrong? I am totally cool with us saying it differently, but, um, you know, we'll probably say it differently. No, I do. I do think that's the way that it's probably supposed to be pronounced. I also used to call Ronan the accursor all the time, not the accuser. So the accursor, I love the accursor. No idea why I read that wrong for so many years. The blinking line in your typing on your screen. (laughs) And and it, it shows up in different places. So it's the Roman cursor, right? Right. Okay. 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 Um, I really like picking up immediately oh, from last. Oh, 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 oh sorry to oh, interrupt. Oh, 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 oh. Another first. Yeah. Them. 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 Yes. This is, them. This is so their a lot first of appearance. Firsts. A lot of firsts in this one. Yeah. Big first. And honestly, honestly, this feels like a first Captain America story. Yeah. Like it hits a lot of the same beats that we hit back in Suspense 59 sitting in alone in his room, going back through his memories. It's almost like if you missed everything before now, this is the clean start. This is the clean jump start point. Well, and, and even Steve in character is almost complaining to Stan Lee that he doesn't have a story yet. Right. He's <laughs> like, I have nothing. Come on, let's get some like supporting characters in my life so that I can be happy. Which is honestly a, a point that Steve is going to bring up to the writer several times over the next decade and a half. Uh-huh. And, and, <laughs> and ignore them completely. And he'll never have a life, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. He tried it briefly in the 80s, but that's about it. Right, right. I think I came in towards the end of that because like, we came in when Bernie Rosenthal came back into his life. See, I started reading Cap when he had a life. So it's always been kind of weird that. He doesn't have one before or since, but mm-hmm. I've gotten used to it. But yeah, I was spoiled for a while there that he lived the Spider-Man days for a while. But anyways, so yeah, I really like to picked up directly from last issue, but I was a little bit surprised that Cap has to explain to these people that there was a sleeper because you would think they would have seen it and seen it explode and seen him fall. I, I can't. He was in Germany, yeah? He was he was flying in the ocean away from Germany. Yes. Okay, so we don't really. I don't know if this says where he is, but these guys seem American to me. But that um, doesn't mean they're not in England or something. Or I don't know where they could be. Yeah, I'm just looking to see. I don't think it's said, but I could be wrong. Sometimes there's little throwaway captions I miss. Rome mates before we lose him. That could be like mates as in friends, like British slang. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be American soldiers in England. No idea. They're happy to see him. They know he's Captain America, but that could still be England. It would honestly would have to be because Mm. he was flying away from Germany and this boat was there when he exploded and fell into the water. So whether it's Americans or British men or someone else, they're, they're based in Europe. They're good guys. (laughs) Yes, they're good guys. Um, Okay. I know he's been, we have been a bit pedantic about this, but on page four, Panel two. Mm-hmm. I think this is the first time that the comic has explicitly said, hey, Steve looks young because he's been frozen in time. Yes. So every time Hawkeye calls him grandpa, it's silly nonsense. Right. Or every time Steve claims to be old, it's 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 either self-deprecating or nonsense. Yeah. I've always wondered about that. Like, Because he, he obviously can't feel old. Even when he's going to be 80, he won't feel old. Probably. No. 
So why does he always? Why does he do that? And I can only assume it's maybe because he's playing off of what other people say about him. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like he's got maybe got a complex, or maybe he's just letting the joke ride. But I mean, he's got to be in his early twenties max mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, I mean, he just signed up for the army, and then how long could he have been in the army? Not that long. Maximum the length of World War II. Right, if not shorter. So five years. Yeah. Eighteen to twenty-three. Yeah. But he acts like he's, you know, 45 or something. Right, right. So check out the gun show on Steve. He's uh, dressing in his room and there are literally various pistols (laughs) mounted on his wall. (laughs) Which, you know, why would he own those? Captain America never carries a gun, kids. Don't you know this? Well, even if he did, like we've said before, he must have lost most of his stuff. Yeah. Unless there's that elusive... That trunk that they kept for him that we always talk about that must have had all the pictures in it and stuff. Maybe it had his issued firearms or something. It's like I am both at once okay with the fact that Steve never carries a gun on the regular mm-hmm. and also totally okay with the idea that if he needed one and picked one up and used it, that'd be fine too because he's a freaking soldier. Maybe he like adopts a different way of doing things over time, but also I, if he found something necessary, I wouldn't complain. I mean, Private Steve Rogers must have had an issued firearm, right? Or three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe that's what those are. And he just hung them up for memories or something. So Steve is up here in his apartment mm-hmm. and Pietro and Wanda, are they downstairs? Like in the complex in the basement? Didn't they? He said, he said something like the Avengers are doing stuff. So I have free time to walk around or did I just make that up? The Avengers won't meet again for another week. Okay. Meet again. So what does that mean? Do they not live there? Where? You know, my, my impression has been, that Pietro and Wanda live there. Yeah. Hawkeye lives, I guess, wherever Hawkeye was living. But the the siblings came to New York to be Avengers. And we mm-hmm. have not seen them existing anywhere but the Avengers mansion since this started. Maybe he's just not thinking that he should ingratiate himself to them and they have their own things to do. I don't know. I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Also, when you're the employer, do you really want to invade the pizza party all the time and make them hang out with you? It's kind of weird. Also, when you put on your swashbuckling boots and then your slacks and your dress shoes over them. And the shield on your back that has never made any sense. I know, I know. It's <laughs> it's a total staple, but it really makes no sense at all. None whatsoever. I mean, if it were a little bit smaller or he were a little bit bigger relative to it, maybe. But it maybe. sticks out for the sides. I mean, it's a lot bigger than his back. It would make his back look so arched. Mm-hmm. But you of know course, what? Those Spider-Man web shooters don't aren't skin tight either, so that's never made sense no. either. And Clark Kent always has a big puffy butt in his pants, so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, doesn't he just crush his thing down to like minuscule something with his super crushing powers? That's, that's why he does his regular clothes when he puts on his suit when he changes oh, Superman. Oh, okay. His Superman costume is under his clothes, right. and his cape is tucked into his pants. Yeah, that's really weird. So we mentioned the first appearance of Sharon Carter, although she does not get a name here. She just Peggy Carter. Or neither. Yeah, you're right. Sharon Carter, neither. Neither. Okay, we're, we're going to put this on the record. My daughter has just emerged from her room in blackface. I'm in a face mask. She's wearing a face mask for, I guess, facial cleansing. Yeah. But it looks like friggin' blackface. Insert culturally <laughs> Don't Don't Instagram that. Is that, a, um, is that a Wonder Woman-like night robe? My daughter has a like a dressing gown, like a like a robe that you fold, like, and it's got Wonder Woman design on it. Wow. <sighs> I wish I could be you. I want to be you when I grow up. Anyway, Sharon Carter. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> Sharon Carter. I okay. I don't think I realized the first time I read this mm-hmm. how big of a deal Sharon Carter was going to eventually become in Captain America's life. Mm-hmm. Because in the little bit of Captain America I had read, i.e., 1990 to 1992, mm-hmm. there was no Sharon Carter. It was Bernie. It was Diamondback. She was dead. Yeah. I didn't even know she was dead. I just I didn't know the character. Yeah, she's basically. I mean, I don't know. Everybody could argue this, but she's basically his Lois Lane, right? I mean, that's my impression now is that she is his Lois. She is his Mary Jane. Uh-huh. She is the woman in Cap's life who occasionally leaks away for others, but then comes back again. I mean, the only reason that'd be a bad argument, Lois Lane wise, is because she wasn't around in the Golden Age and stuff. But right, nor was Peggy either. Though they'll retcon that for us. But yeah, um, okay. So Batroc becomes a bit of a joke character, probably because he is such a cartoon of French stereotypes. Right. But Savat is a pretty badass fighting form. See, I have never, and one of my first issues that I read was issue 302, which started a new storyline that involved Batroc, I'm going to have to fix this, stealing Cap Shield with his new brigade, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And so, like, he's one of the first villains I ever read of Captain America. And even then, like, he just seemed... I love him, but I've never thought of him as, like, a big deadly villain for Cap. Like, right. he's just kind of a fun nuisance, I guess. Well, there were two modern takes on him that I really liked. One was he uh, shows up in the Brubaker run. Mm-hmm. And although he has the same costume, they've removed all the silliness. Right. And then they got an actual martial artist to play the part in the Winter Soldier. I liked the fighting and I liked the design. I did think he was missing some style, though. But at the same time, he didn't have a big part. So what are you going to do? Yeah, they did not get an actor for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he basically just challenged him to a fight. There was no, like, fun about it, really. Like, Batroc right. is, is supposed to be fun, I think. I, I remember hearing somewhere that the actor didn't actually speak a lot of English. No. That they literally hired him because he could do Savat like no, like like really well. Yeah, even when he's talking with Cap, they subtitle him, mm-hmm. and Cap just apparently understands French, which is cool because he does. He honestly should. He does in the comics anyway, and German, and I don't know what else. But at least those two. Yeah, that makes sense. Because uh, remember, kids, the super soldier serum that doesn't exist amplified his brain as well. Oh, yeah. Um, um, but, like, even in this, like, yes, he gets a good first blow in, and it's funny. I like the way he does a little wave. And then after that, Cap gets up and basically just trounces him because, like, he's not that scary. He's just sort of a nuisance, and he's funny. And I like that he has some honor. Like, even in this first appearance, it's like, well, I don't want New York to die, so let me help you, you know, track this girl down. He's always had, like, a fighting gentleman energy to him. Yes. We are on opposite sides, but I, you know... I have my goals, but I am also a moral individual. Yes. There are many examples of him turning sides because it's the right thing to do. So I totally get that Steve sees Sharon and recognizes her uh-huh. because she looks like Peggy. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little weird that she should recognize him just from stories. Uh, boy, she knew in the World War II, but he'd be much older. It'd be really weird if I asked him if his name was Steve Rogers. Yeah, that was a little bit of a stretch, wasn't it? I'm going to assume her sister had photos. There you Not go. Not entirely sure how she could have so very many photos, but maybe she had one or two. There you go. But they don't mention that. It's just my. she's talked about him all the time. Yeah, but you just no-prized it, so that works. I did. Yeah. He's, he resembles photos she's seen before, but she's not putting it together. And then she opens a door in the brick wall like in Beetlejuice. That is really cool, because she's S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, she is S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. 
the fact that she is shield adds a lot to her. This is the first uh, shield outside of shield, right? Oh yeah. So that's kind of yeah. cool. Shield is spreading. And of course, silver age cap and shield are almost oh. sister books. Totally. Oh, when he gets, he finds out she's an agent of shield. He gets all excited. Yeah. 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 So, oh yeah. And this one, right. Cause he yeah. wrote that letter to fury and he never got a, he never really got a resolution to that. The biggest thing yeah. he came was uh, the trap with the swordsman. Well, he was asking to work for the CIA, and that's when Nick was transferring over to Shield. So he never got the letter. Mm-hmm. But I can't. But apparently, Cap knows what Shield is because when Batroc tells her tells him that she's a Shield agent, he's like, "Ooh, Shield, cool." Yes. Yeah. So the last caption says this was only the beginning, mm-hmm. and yeah, this is a pretty great, great setup. Yeah. Love it. Exciting. Um, exciting stuff. So. Speaking of guess, S.H.I.E.L.D. Speaking of S.H.I.E.L.D., look at that segue, kids. Yeah. It's almost like we planned it this way. We didn't plan it this we way. Don't. We don't. We planned our order, but not like this. We planned nothing. I think that's a new corner box. On, oh, on, yeah. Ha- oh, that's cool. I'd have to look and see if it's brand new this issue, but I know it wasn't there like five issues ago. Well, you summarize and I'll quickly look. Okay. Um, it is new. There, I fixed it already. <laughs> New, new with this issue? It was two floating heads before that. So, yeah. Now okay. it's like, now it's Doctor Strange putting two hands out at us. It's kind of neat. Who strikes at S.H.I.E.L.D.? One man on Earth with the power to read minds and to, to project mental images has vowed to destroy S.H.I.E.L.D. But the world's greatest counter espionage agency knows of the danger, and Nick Fury frantically prepares a defense against the greatest danger of all. Look out, 007. Here comes Stan Lee Ryder, our answer to Bond. Jack Kirby Penciler, our answer to Uncle. Mike DeMeo, Inker, our answer to Brand Eck. An Artie Simic letterer, our answer to Rosen. Mm-hmm. So I guess another quick seg- uh, diversion is in order. Brand Eck is their way of referring to DC without referring to DC by name. Ah, uh, did I know that? <laughs> I don't know if I knew that. Okay, yeah, it's 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 one of those things that's come up in letters columns a few times by now. And they're actually Marvel's first superhero parody comic is going to be called Not Brand Eck. Okay. I mean, I've heard Brand Eck. I just don't know if I realized it was always about DC. But I mean, maybe it was occasionally used loosely about other competitors, but their biggest competitor is DC. So that's sure. I'm always. Of course. And I have occasionally seen in DC letter columns referring to Brand Yeesh. Oh, so that's funny. They're, they're copying their competitors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Yeesh um, sounds very Marvel, though. It does. It does. All right. So. Um, yeah, we've got to find Mentala. We've got to find uh, what's his friend's name? Fixer. The Fixer. Their uh, Shield is using this uh, ESP division, which are these three people with uh, black visors over their faces, hooked up to a machine, a brainwave stimulator, trying to figure out where the brainwaves are for Mentalo. Um, let's see. There is an agent swimming in a. F- no, uh, that's Metal- Mentalo. Okay. Because he's, try- he's trying to find the fixer. He's trying to find the fixer. So he's he uses his brain to like read the fixer's mind and know all the traps and get to him. And then they decide to team up. Okay. So on the bottom of page three, though, they see. Oh, yeah. Mentello. They're watching. They're watching. Right. So he does actually come up on their screen and they're able to see at least part of what happens next. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he's trying to find the fixer. He um, goes into an underwater base. 
And the fix is like, only a mind reader could have found my hiding place. And Mattel is like, spoilers, that's exactly <laughs> what I am. <laughs> um, so S.H.I.E.L.D. has seen all of this on their uh, Mento Skype. And um, let's see. Nick Fury goes to some people who are fighting. And uh, they're fighting with really cool doodads. These like bricks on their fists that emit frequencies that mess up people's nervous systems. Um, that seems like a, uh, a setup. Um, they hook Nick Fury into a whole bunch of doodads. I'm trying to figure out what these are. I don't know what this is. I can't remember this, what these are either, and it doesn't seem to play out. So, And while he's doing that, he checks on the Inferno 42 mm-hmm. from Tales of Suspense to see if it's arrived yet. Notify me pronto if Batrock the Leaper shows up. Now switch me to Hong Kong. Um, and while Fury's talking, the fixers... Um, most fantastic deadly device prepares to hit shield from underground. It's this big underground tank that has the fixer and Mentallo inside. They get to um, this uh, the end of the tunnel they drilled where they get this like really big metal wall. Um, they manage to shatter it somehow. And everyone in shield is really freaking out. Uh, Nick Fury puts on an astronaut suit and leads a bunch of other shield agents in astronaut suits. Fixer and Mentallo uh, trigger a trap where all these walls and ceiling get squeezed around them. But of course they have bombs to blow through the walls because they were prepared. Um, oh my God. I hate to interrupt you, but do you know the big doodad hook hook thing that we were just talking about that neither one of us could figure out what it was? Yeah. I was reading it while you were, while you kept going. That is their way of making an international call. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it looks like armor with phones on his ears. Yeah. And that's, oh my. He has to use that to call Hong Kong. <laughs> so to bypass the operators and everything, but to just like get patched into Hong Kong, he's got yeah. this huge telephone <laughs> switch contraption that so, he's wearing. So that was the point of that scene, I guess. <laughs> All righty. All righty then. Um, so eventually the fixer mentality like bust in, which is the image on the cover. They're wearing really big Kirby tech suits. Uh, they're on these like uh, pogo stick flyer things. They're shooting at shield agents. Shield agents are shooting at them. They shoot down Nick Fury. They place a mask over his face, which enslaves him. And they tell him to rise and prepare to serve the new masters of shield. Uh, fight back. Uh, you'll see fight, Fury fight back as ever before. Till then, don't yield back shield. Whoa. Another first. Yeah. So this was Okay. There were some things that got me excited and then other things that kind of were like interesting, but I don't know. was really letting loose on the tech in this issue. He was definitely doing that. Like you kind of just skipped over this part because there really is no point in summarizing it. But the beginning is this big robot that they let loose on accident and have to shut down and it had nothing to do with the plot. It just looked cool. It looked cool. Really cool. And I guess they just let him draw it. But that's two pages of nothing, basically. So uh, I keep calling Fury and Kirby each other's names. Kirby has this thing he does with sunglasses and visors Mm -hmm. where he shows the light reflecting, but he uses wavy lines Mm -hmm. because light doesn't reflect perfectly over curved surfaces. And it becomes like a a, a staple of his eye devices. Mm -hmm. His eye devices always have like a wavy line going through the middle, Mm -hmm. which starts out as just, you know, a way of showing light reflecting, but eventually just like becomes its own phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It's like his little shortcuts for sunglasses and visors. 
So you said that we got the first mention of them in the Captain America story. I wrote it down here. Well, I guess it depends on which came out first or whatever. And oh, they came out, I guess, together. Were they, were, did Bradshaw mention them in the Captain America story? No, but they, that was them in the beginning in the shadows. Oh, really? In the Captain America story, that was them? That was them doing the experiment to blow up the miniaturized New York. Oh, okay. But they weren't mentioned by name. I just know that that's them. And then here they are mentioned by name by the fixer who says he has a backing of a mysterious party called them. And Mentallo's like, what's them? And he's like, I'll tell you later. That's why I didn't write it down. Okay. And I skipped over that part of the synopsis because it doesn't have anything to do with the story at hand, except for, no, you synopsized that. I synopsized that. And I did, and I just, and I I did talk about it. No, you did. You did. I didn't write any notes about it because it didn't have anything to do with the rest of the story. At so hand. that's what's cool about page six of this issue is two things. One, they mention Inferno 42. Uh, basically, they don't say her name, but they basically mention there's an agent involved, which is, you know, Sharon Carter and Beatrix involved. And then the next panel is is the fixer talking about them backing him to build this big tank. And all that came from the story we just summarized in Tales of Suspense. So so these two issues came out at the same time, and they yeah. have, like, overlapping continuity. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's, like, all connected. Um, okay, so Eric Von Royer is uh-huh. a listener to the show. Uh-huh. He's on Twitter. He pointed out that these this ESP division... Uh-huh. is a rare example of non-mutant telepathy at Marvel. Oh, well, do we know that? Well, they're never identified as mutants as far as I know. I had the same thought. Are they maybe mutants? They could be. But I, I don't mean, think they're ever specifically identified as mutants, and they are, they are telepaths for no reason, evidently. So in our world where we have no powers, sometimes people claim that they have some sort of ESP, right? And Which was a very big thing in the 60s. It's a very big thing in the 60s, and you could believe or not believe that. But I would think like in a world like Marvel, where there are mutants, mm-hmm. and if you woke up and said, oh, I have this weird ESP power, would you not be a mutant? I don't know. Just by default, kind of? Or do you have to have the mutant gene, whatever the frick that is, and I can never figure it out? Yeah, if you have the X gene and therefore have telepathy, but if you just have telepathy and they scan your genetics and you don't have the X gene, it's just a power you have for no reason. Hmm. Uh. Marvel usually explains where powers come from. And if, That's true. If the powers for no reason, it's because you have the X gene. I think you just got to hit him in the head with a baseball bat, and if they heal fast, they're mutants. <laughs> it's worth pointing out, this is the end of 1965. Mm-hmm. Um, calendar year 1966 is a handful of weeks away. Um, September 1966 is when Star Trek comes out. Woo-hoo. And the pilot for that show is ESP. involves ESP. Yeah. So... This comic and that pilot probably are being done at like the same time. So that's where we are in culture right now. Yeah, everybody's into this ESP business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I talked about this off the air and off the air, like we're on air, off the recording. And we really should never talk about these comics when we're not recording because that's pointless. So I'm just going to repeat again that I completely did not realize last issue was the first appearance of The Fixer. I thought it was like one of these old Strange Tales villains that are boring and we've read before. Interesting. Okay. And so not only is that the first appearance where he escapes from prison and he's wrapped in like his sleeping bag and you don't really get a good look at him. But in this issue, his first first appearance is on panel, the last panel on page four. So once again, I'm complaining. Like this is a brand new villain we're being introduced to and this is all I get. This little tiny blob of a person in red. Yeah, it is weird. And it's not until page... Seven, when we get a green guy with a face. So now we're sort of seeing what he looks like. 
And then it isn't until page 11 that we finally get a full-body Kirby blow through the doors and kill everybody shot. I don't know. Weird introduction. Well, I have the opposite phenomenon with the demon next issue. Not next issue, next story. Because the demon in Strange Tales has like the reverse thing. I thought he was new, but we've actually seen him a few times before. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, they have these Jericho tubes, not to be confused with Jeffrey's tubes. Uh-huh. But since they blow stuff up, I guess we should call them boom tubes. Uh-huh. That's all. Just going out of their way for a joke. Uh, um, he's supposed to be the poor man's Tony Stark, this fixer guy that we're just being introduced to. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like that. I liked uh, this whole getting into S.H.I.E.L.D. thing and how they did it. It was kind of interesting gadgets. Like he has this voice amplifier that crumbled steel and I don't know what else he did. But he did a bunch of things. He had a tank, of course. And then he had uh, something that burned a hole in the wall. And he has a repellent for the missiles. And so he's like he's kind of like the uh, the mechanic in a way from yeah. Iron Man 3 as opposed to just being a dude in armor. But he has all these cool gadgets that he brings along that make him – Pretty formidable. He's pretty neat. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of just a, like a throwaway guy, but also does a pretty well, pretty good job of you know he's what he's doing here. Doing more than Metallo. Me, I keep wanting to call him Metallo. Mental, so Mentalo. Mentalo. What's his name? We should. <laughs> I've been saying Mentalo. We should just say Mentalo so we don't forget who he is. It's, he's Mentalo. Mentalos. This is his idea, and he's not doing anything. Yeah, he's just sitting there reading minds, and no one really cares that much. Has he ever confronted Xavier? Does Xavier just laugh at this guy? Because I feel like this dude's telepathy can't be that good. It's got to just be okay, right? Probably just okay. He's not one of the big guns in the telepathy department, is he? I doubt it. I doubt I it, doubt it. I doubt it, too. Shall we go on to something stranger? Yeah, that was a okay issue, but... It's okay. I like the, I like the like I said, I like the, uh, the, the callback to the whole one second ago issue we just covered, but... Yes, 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 yes. Overlapping continuity makes me happy. Very. And the cool thing about it is that neither one of those depends on the other. No. You could just have two, two shield things going on at the same time. Yeah. It's just interactive. They are parallel. There's an intersection that doesn't really matter. It's just cool because it's there. But then she's going to go into the brick wall and she goes down and she's like, oh, no, we're being attacked by Mentalo and, and the Fixer. And then Cap follows. And so next issue, Cap, Batroc, uh and Sharon Carter are going to fight the Fixer and Mentalo, but I just made that up completely. That's not going to happen. That's the way it should happen, though. Let's be that real. That would have been really cool, right? I mean, let's go write that comic in 1966. Yeah. Those who would destroy me. Oh, please destroy him. Yeah. For the benefit of those who came in late or who just turned into the podcast, Doctor Strange, the good guy, has just defeated Dormammu, the bad guy, in combat. But before he can return home, three more baddies hide a bomb in Doc's Greenwich Village pad. Cleverly, they make it a plain everyday TikTok bomb with nothing mystical about it. So Doc's magic powers don't react to it. And now, you know as much as we do, which isn't hard. Extravagantly edited and written by Stan Lee, painstakingly plotted and drawn by Steve Ditko, lovingly lettered and bordered by Artie Simic. So, um, Doctor Strange is like, okay, no evil presences, I need to go to sleep. Oh, wait, you know what, though? I fought Mordo here. There should be a trace of Mordo here, but there's not. Which means someone else has been here. I smell the demon. He never showers. So mm -hmm. if he's been here and he's erased his presence, what did he do? I'm going to use my Eye of Agamotto. 
and his eye shows that there is a canister in his smoky, fiery basin. So he reaches in with his hands into the fire and grabs it, throws it out of his window, and it explodes in the sky. Now, he actually flew out of his window to throw it. He breaks through his window, which I've always heard is like you're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, whatever. Uh, he throws the thing in the air. Now, now that he is outside of his mansion, though, the three baddies who were in his house, a.k.a., or I should say I.E., um, the demon, uh, Caecilius, and a mysterious uh, shadow-faced individual whom we don't know yet. They're there and they grab Doctor Strange and mystical doodads and they put a Hannibal Lecter mask on his face and um, bricks over his hands to keep him from making cool magic things with his fingers and they take him back to a building. And they go, okay, now we've got him. What are we going to do with him? We haven't been able to contact Baron Mordo. Um, and Shadowface is like, it doesn't matter because Mordo has made me deputy leader for this area. So I'm just going to take over. You know what? I'm going to make the calls and y'all are going to do what I say. Um, in fact, each of y'all know what you're supposed to be doing right now. So I'm going to stay here and study Strange's amulet and y'all go do your jobs. Um, okay. So Dr. Strange is standing there. He is uh, physically trapped by magic. He's blind because he's wearing the mask. He's, um, he can't do anything because he's wearing the uh, covers on his hands. And the ancient one is like, huh, I'm feeling better now. I think I'm going to, so go say thank you to Dr. Strange. I will send my spirit form to the other side of the world. And, um, Dr. Uh, so Dr. Strange then sends out his mind to the ancient one. He's like, Hey, help me. And the ancient one can't answer because his brain is traveling. So the demon goes up to Doctor Strange. He's like, hmm, I'm going to probe his mind with my magic. And Doctor Strange is a magical mind probe. I'm going to give magical mental feedback. And the demon's like, ah, feedback. Strange mask face takes off their strange mask face. And behold, it's a woman in a gown with no name. Because why does she need a name? I don't know. Right? She, I don't know who she is. She's the person. Um... Anyways, she realizes that Doctor Strange is beating the demon, is trying to go away. Doctor Strange, now that he's freed himself from the spell, he still can't take his mask off. He still can't free his hands. So he just sends his spirit form out to figure out what he's going to do. A mysterious, powerful woman sends um, goons after um, Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange, (laughs) he's doing this weird thing where he can't actually see. So he's sticking his spirit head out of his body while he drives it. Mm-hmm. It is literally like if your windshield is all messed up. So you have your head hanging out of your window while you drive your car. He's pulling an Ace Ventura on his own body. <laughs> um, anyways, so he helps himself fight some goons. Um, he helps himself escape to the roof. He tries to leap away, but he doesn't really have like the skills and agility because he's not directly controlling his body. He's only like kind of controlling his body. And so the issue ends with like, what am I going to do? I'm trapped on this roof. My my spirit form is, is, is weak. My, my body can't see. What am I going to do? So next issue alone and unaided, Dr. Strange continues to fight. Yeah. This was kind of fun. This is kind of fun. Weird. And like, it's almost it's almost <laughs> kind of like ridiculous. a new story, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
There, there were some parts that it used that I was just kind of like shaking my head at. But at the end of the day, it's still, you know, you know, decent fun to read. So they plant this bomb in his thing with the idea that this is the one thing that's not magic, so he won't be able to sense it. And then that kind of backfires because it's the one thing that's not magic, so it's the only thing he can't sense. So he finds it, right? It's like when Superman can't see through lead. I was, and then post-crisis, Superman is like, yeah, I can't see through lead. So whenever I do a pan on something and the little blocks that I can't see, I know that's lead. Yep. And I go check it out. Just like that Joker story. That's what it totally made me think of. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do hate, though, when I find a bomb in my house and I get it safely out of my house, but the bad guys who put it in my house are lurking outside to catch me anyway. Yeah, good plan on their part, though. I wonder if it was even their plan or if they were just, like, walking home. Well, they did They did uh, 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 not necessarily say that in, ahead of time, so maybe it isn't a plan, but it kind of seemed like a plan. They were probably just waiting to see if he blew up. That would be cool. Yeah. Watch, watch, watch him blow up and die. Mm-hmm. I kind of like the idea of them like heading over to the Burger King, mm-hmm. and they hear the and they look over and see Doctor Strange flying a bomb out. Like, <gasps> let's get him. Yeah, that was your whole plan. Yeah, get her, get her. Um, so, secret person. Yes, who is a secret person? I guess she's a cool reveal, but there's no name or info. So it's like the only reveal is bet you didn't guess that mystery dude was a chick. Unless they're going to give her a name someday. But yeah, I don't know who it is. I mean, she has a name because you can find her in appearance lists, but it's like, it's not a name I recognize. Okay. So she doesn't really matter. Yeah. At least not. I mean, I'm not super versed in Doctor Strange, but. Um, but I liked all the, his little tricks to try and get through this whole pony boy rig he's stuck in. Yeah. Um, still using spirit self in this book, even though Xavier gets to have an astral form. But he also has telepathy. Telepathy. That's the one thing he had to get him out of this situation. Yes. Yes, he did. But I guess it's magical telepathy, I assume. Magical and- telepathy. Yeah. Because he, you can tell it's magical because it has like the little mm-hmm. swirly lights coming out of his head. But he apparently does not need to voice or use his fingers to use his telepathy. So that's handy. He just like point his forehead. Mm-hmm. You point your forehead. So, so he's pointing his forehead at this demon character. Now, this is the guy... As I was talking about earlier, I kind of lost the narrative track on oh, this yeah. guy. Oh yeah, no uh, idea. So I went, I went back and I looked. Mm-hmm. He was first his own person back in issue one hundred twenty-eight, which is back in the Torch days. Okay. Uh, for those who care, it was the Quicksilver Scarlet Witch issue. Okay. Um, the Demon's Disciple had gone to Doctor Strange for help because he was only learning from the demon for kicks and he wanted out. I remember that story. Right? Yeah. So the demon used the crimson bands of Satorek to trap Dr. Strange in a ruby, which was the first time we heard about those. Yeah. But if I recall, Dr. Strange just spanked him pretty much. Yeah. Basically hypnotized him, Mm -hmm. told him to renounce the mystic arts or face Dr. Strange again. Yes. So... Then remember when Doctor Strange was first on the run from Mordo and he tried to go home, but he found an evil magic user there. So he went to a costume shop and dressed as an evil, evil magic user mm-hmm. to like convince the guy in his home to get out of his home. Yeah. That was the demon again. Okay. Strange punched him out and ran off to face Mordo. And that's it until last issue when we saw that Strange's house was still being watched by the demon and the mustache dude, Caecilius, and the mystery woman. Well, they're consistent with him sucking, so that's cool. He, he is a you know somewhat memorable design for like no other substance to his character. I mean, like he's bad at magic, too, because 
here we have Doctor Strange just completely locked up, and the dude goes to read his mind because that's his job right now. And Doctor Strange is like, oh, he's really bad at this. I'll let him pretend. I'll pretend to let him read my mind until I take over his mind. And he does. He does. So he's like not a great wizard, I guess. So, yeah, both of these stories were kind of okay, kind Mm -hmm. of weird, but, Mm -hmm. you know, not bad. Not bad. They're cool. We'll see how it goes. And we have one more. Speaking of not bad, not good. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) The Avengers enter. Avengers number 25. So there we go. There's a number. Quarter done, century. We've done 25 of these. I like the books where we actually know how many we've done. Um, enter Dr. Doom in this great issue. Don't miss the brief guest appearance of the Fantastic Four also. <laughs> um, there is a caption. Four proud, valiant figures scan the evening skies, lost in their own dramatic thoughts, wondering if they shall ever again return to the distant future to learn the fate which has befallen Kang and the lovely Ravona, Ravana. But even as they ponder, another watches them. But before that, created by the pride of Marvel's bullpen, Stanley Ryder, Dick, er, Don Heck, Penciler, Dick Ayers, Inker, Sam Rosen, Letterer, for you, the pride of Marvel's fandom. Whoa. Anyway, guess who's watching them? It was a big mystery last issue, but first page, we get it. It's Doctor Doom. And he's thinking, you know, it's been a while since I've beat the Fantastic Four. But that's not good enough anymore. I want to rub it in their face. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to attack the Avengers first, just so I could show them that, you know, I guess the logic is that if I could beat the Avengers, I could, I could easily beat the Avengers, and then I'll show Fantastic Four how great I am before I beat them, I think. So... Yeah, yeah that's, sure. that's, that's what he says. So he's watching them on his view screen. He has a little reminiscence about, like, his one time he met... Uh, that pharaoh guy, Rama Tut, who may or may not be King, who may or may not be Dr. Doom. Uh, but that really went nowhere other than we had King last issue, so I guess he had to think about it. We cut to the Avengers, and Scarlet Witch is kind of dreamy sighing about Captain America, who's brooding. Hawkeye doesn't like it because he wants her to dreamy sigh about him. And he's like, you know, the only reason she likes him is because he's leader, so I should be leader. And he goes to leave, and... The actual leader says, hey, you can't leave because I'm the leader. He says, stick it, buddy. I can leave whenever I want. And Cap starts to get in it with him. But then he's like, you know what? I'm getting really tired of being out of character. So go ahead and leave because actually you're really annoying. And that might be nice if you got out of the house. Um, Then he goes off to do some Cap sad stuff just like he did in Tales of Suspense and kind of talks about how like he's basically just Captain America now and he has no Steve Rogers life. And will he ever have a Steve Rogers life again? And I told him, not till the 80s, buddy, and only briefly. Uh, 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 then, some happy news, though. When they're uh, out of their clothes and living in what seems to be their own apartment, maybe. I'm not sure. We'll find out in a second as we discuss it. Uh, sh- uh, uh, Wanda gets a letter that says they're not um, unrelated to anybody. They're not orphans. They're, they're, they have a long-lost aunt in Latveria. And Quicksilver's like, woohoo. We should go, and let's take our Avengers friends with us. So they confront Hawkeye, and he's a big jerky jerk about it. And then he thinks to himself, why do I keep being a jerky jerk? Why I can't help myself. And every time he talks, he's still a jerky jerk, even as he's literally thinking, I should stop being a jerky jerk. It's like weird thing going on in his brain. Uh, Dr. Doom uh, patrols his Latveria rule, 
and everybody loves him, except certain old people who kind of think to themselves they don't love him, but mostly everybody seems to love him. The Avengers, incognito in like in like trench coats and hats and stuff, arrive by train, and they're like, where's this aunt? She's supposed to meet us. But instead, soldiers come out of nowhere and say, you are arrested. I don't know what that Latvian accent is, so that was pretty bad, whatever. Um, so they go along with it. And they get put in jail. But then Wanda's like, yeah, but this is just jail. And she points and the thing opens. And then they dress <laughs> and then they dress as, you know, superheroes. And they just leave. And the soldiers are like, oh, they weren't supposed to do that. But we cut. Yeah, but this is just jail. <laughs> <laughs> it's just jail. Like, this is nothing. We cut to uh, like every single one of us could escape from this. Anyway, it cuts to Dr. Doom pulling a big lever and him thinking to himself, they escaped? That's exactly my plan. And the big lever like makes this like shield thing, uh, Petri dish, I don't know what it is, plastic bubble thing, like clothes, and pretty much enclose Latveria. So now the Avengers can't escape. So they start running through the city, and everybody's like on Dr. Doom's side. It's like, get those traitorous Avengers. But uh, Quicksilver like spins around in a whirlwind and scares them away. They make their way to the castle. They go inside. They fight Dr. Doom in his home turf. He's got all these advantages, like all these cool Iron Man-type gadgets, and he can just point at Cap's shield and have it thrown back. And even Quicksilver's not quite fast enough and manages to get caught and thrown back. And Wanda's hex power doesn't quite work. And Hawkeye's like, well, I'm going to shoot you with this arrow. And Dr. Doom's like, you fool. I have armor, as you can see, so not even that can stop me. And Hawkeye's like, yeah, but I used to be an Iron Man villain. And the armor starts dissolving. So he's like, eeps. So he puts up a wall of energy and runs away and leaves them there. And they're like, we should probably leave too in case he decides to blow up this room. So they reconnoiter somewhere else. And Dr. Doom goes and changes his armor because it's dissolving, just like it used to do for Iron Man. Um, And meanwhile... While he's doing that, these these uh, uh, I don't want to call them peasants, civilians, whatever. His people come up and they're like, "Mr. Doom, our child was scheduled to go to the doctor in Switzerland or something, and you just bubbled us all in here, and we can't get there, and he needs to go now." He's like, "Silence! I'm not as nice as you think I am, and I've got business." So they start crying. Uh, cuts to the Fantastic Four. That whole promise that we got, Fantastic Four being this issue, they hear about the Avengers on the radio. But from the radio's point of view, the Avengers were caught spying on Dr. Doom. (gasps) So they're like, that's probably a lie. Flame on. It's clobbering time. And they go to leave, but they're told they have denied clearance from their rocket. So they go find out why. It turns out Latveria is an international matter. And we're not letting private citizens just go around interfering with diplomatic crises. So no, you can't go. So that's the last of Fantastic Four in this issue. Cut back to the Avengers. They overhear the sad story of the kid who needs to go to the hospital. And Quicksilver suggests we should just turn ourselves in. So he opens the bubble. But Cap's like, nah, son, let's fight. So they confront again. And they fight again. And there's a lot of fighty fight fight. But this time, while Hawkeye and Cap fight or get netted or something, this is where the art gets really weird. And I don't understand what happens exactly. But Scarlet Witch uses her hex power again. And this time to better... Maybe she says to better, but I don't actually see it on the panels. And then Quicksilver says, but I don't see it on the panels, that he found the lever that turns the bubble, makes the bubble come open again. And so they go off to do that. And while they're doing that, Quicksilver bumps him into his own machinery. And then Hawkeye shoots him with an arrow that has like dust. So basically, 
when the bubble opens, they all run away and Dr. Doom is left sneezing a lot mm. and they escape the end. It is a weird art ending. I feel like the something got muddled. writing was there to like make up for art confusion. Exactly. I wasn't quite sure what happened, but basically they opened the bubble and they made him sneeze a lot and they escaped. Okay. Well, before we talk about the issue, next issue, the wasp flies again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's and, a, that's a little caption at the end. And, 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 and whom did we see last week in Tales to Astonish? The wasp and giant man. Right? Mm-hmm. Some more intersecting continuity, I think, might be Possibly. Maybe they're going to be involved somehow. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um... <sighs> yeah, I don't know about this one, but... <laughs> As we're recording on our Facebook today, somebody said, So when does the Avengers get good? <laughs> I thought about that hard. I feel like we've had a couple good issues since the court day. We have had a couple good issues, and this one's not... Bad. There are some good elements to it, but I think those are mostly in the first half of the book. I think I liked the uh, the Power Man thing. I don't know what I liked. Maybe I don't like it that much. Still, I don't know the, the series. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like stellar issues that have stood out to me. Um, Kang and Ravana was weird. The Baron Zemo stuff back in the day was kind of cool. The Masters of I remember, Evil. Oh, the Swordsman. We really we liked oh, the Swordsman. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, we liked the Swordsman. I kind of like Power Man and the Enchantress. That was cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. Not, it's not great. It's not, it hasn't had a run like Fantastic Four or – but you know what? You could say that about X-Men too. They're not great either right now. No. No, they're not. And I hate to color our future very much, but they, I remember when I started really liking the Avengers. In the 80s? No. <laughs> no, it's in the 60s. Just <laughs> Okay. Maybe when a little vi- bit further down the road than this. <laughs> vision and stuff start showing up, maybe? Something. That, the, the, the issues leading up to the vision, I felt there was this like significant change in quality that really hits with the vision. But like it starts to come in a few issues before that. Yeah. Um, okay, so Dr. Doom is totally lying to himself, right? Uh, he's weird, yeah. He's afraid of the Fantastic Four right now, I swear. Like last time he fought them, the thing tore him open. And he hobbled off to lick his wounds. Then he tried to sick the entire villain community at them when Reed and Sue were getting married. Mm-hmm. And that didn't work. So yeah, here, you know, he's like, I wonder if I can beat these guys. If I do, then maybe the FF will be scared of me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that was his motive on the first page is if I, I can fill their hearts with fear by beating the Avengers. Right? Right. That's Yeah, you're right. The motive is not consistent. But then... Halfway through the book, it's, I will have the Avengers captured, and then the FF will have to rescue them, right? Right. But you would think he would know, being part of this whole international incident, that, by the way, is reporting lies about them being spies, like that they won't let the FF go in there. So that's a bad plan, maybe. So do you think he's literally just making this one up as he goes? It seemed like it, a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it's inconsistent from a like. It, obviously, it's inconsistent writing, but like in universe, I think Doctor Doom is just like changing his mind about what he's going to do and why he's going to do it. I think he just wanted to be in the Avengers. Be in the Avengers. In not not like a part of the team. He just wanted to be in the Avengers book. Mm, that makes sense. Now they they revisit the ridiculous time paradox. They do for no reason. But they do. I should say, yeah, for no reason. I should say so-called paradox because it's not a paradox. 
Like, what's weird is I thought he was saying something like, they just came back from Kang, that Kang guy. Let me think about that for a while. But he doesn't even do that. He's just talking mm-hmm. about, like, who is as cool as me? Oh, yeah, that guy who might be me. That's the only guy that's cool as me. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which, by the way, wow, that's some thinking. Um, but, yeah, how is it, it a paradox or not a paradox? Because Well, uh, it's like, it's a result of linear time. Mm. If Rama Tut is just an older Doctor Doom, mm-hmm. then the only problem is Rama Tut can't kill Doctor Doom. But Doom could totally kill Rama Tut or Kang. It would just mean that he's sealed his death at some future date. There's no paradox. He's just closing off his line. Of course, we know they're not the same, so it doesn't matter. But like this going back and forth is is just silly. Um, so yeah, it's not really a paradox. So Wanda, I like that. Like I'm fine with her liking Steve, but I kind of like that she's not like gushing about it, and she hasn't. Like right. Like Hawkeye cares way more than she does. It seems like. And she only she only likes she finds she says she finds him appealing, but even herself she wonders if it's possible that she's confusing pity with love. Like, does she just think does she just feel bad for him, or does she actually like him? Because he's always morose and being chastised and having right. a hard time. And like you know, that's that's kind of a, a mature approach, right? Yeah, she's obviously having some hormonal reaction to him, mm-hmm. and and. Just to clarify for listeners, I'm not using hormonal reaction, the phrase like, oh, women's got hormones. It's just like that chemical response to seeing somebody and your body says, I will like that. Mm -hmm. That's a hormonal reaction. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, but she's like examining it and wondering exactly what kind of feeling this is having for him. And Mm -hmm. that's pretty good. And I like this last panel, even though it kind of, we've seen examples of him lying about this, but she's like, why do you let him continue to taunt you and show you lack of gratitude. And he's like, cause I made a promise that I'd keep us all together until Iron Man, Thor or giant man return. Now I don't think either three of those people have mentioned that they would ever return. Mm-hmm. So this is like the first time it's like a thing, like he's holding them together until real Avengers come back. And also we've seen examples of him trying to quit at least like 15 times since this team started. So, so when did this promise, like, when did, when did this promise happen? Yeah. That's kind of a new development, this idea that like he's just holding it together until we can get some stability. I just feel like Hawkeye is completely clueless, both about Wanda and like they've they've both learned nothing from last the the, the last issues where they hated each other, fell apart, and then came back together again. Um Right. And I in this it's really telling, like, I almost think he has some sort of problem because on page six, and we can go backwards after, but page six, like in his own mind, he's arguing with himself not to be a jerk. And, and then he that, and then keeps doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Like literally just thought, I should stop running my mouth. I should stop being a hothead. Literally, the next thing that comes out of his mouth in the same moment is go on, run, you little golden haired leader. Nobody around here dares to make a move without him anyway, or whatever. And then I it, find that a little relatable though. Yeah. Like it's, it's written heavy handedly, mm-hmm. but like, Tell, knowing that you're overreacting and telling yourself to stop overreacting and then in this situation overreacting again. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's relatable. <laughs> that's called um, he has crazy insecurity probably. 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 Yeah. Um, I wonder if he would be so crazy about Wanda if he had just gone to the hospital with Black Widow. Yeah. Whenever she was hurt and he just like left her to be found by an ambulance. Well, insecurity and has bad problems with women kind of go hand in hand, maybe. Mm-hmm. Pietro really wants oh, to be in the circus. I love that he loves the circus so much. I don't know if this is a character trait that continues 
forever, but I do like that he's like, that's just a hobby he has being a yeah, fan it's of the consistent. circus. Yeah. <laughs> so is this their place or is this Tony Stark's chic 70s Avengers mansion pad? I would have to say this looks like a high rise apartment. Yeah. I think it's their own place, right? Yeah. So I had not realized it. Uh, whenever we were talking about that earlier, that this I've forgotten this scene was here because I think this is the first time we've seen this. It is. But you know how you're done watching your TV show, mm-hmm. so you blast your TV to pieces? <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that's good. Well, she turned Doctor- it off on him because, oh, Dr. Doom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like Dr. Doom does on the next page. Yeah. Okay, so here's a question for you. Is Dr. Doom a good ruler of a country, leader, Okay. emperor, king, whatever he calls himself? So I, I love that they're exploring this because we have Latveria established. Uh-huh. Now we're going to start to deepen the complexity a little. Uh-huh. And this is actually sowing seeds for future stories because Dr. Doom gets a featured series in the late 60s mm-hmm. going into the early 70s. He's in Astonishing Tales. So we're actually getting the precursors of that with him trying to rule well and the people looking up to him, mm-hmm. but him occasionally getting so egoy that he actually is detrimental to his own, you know, position. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously that makes him a bad ruler, but I think he's legit trying to be a good ruler. Yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite things about that Superman Red Sun, uh, uh-huh. miniseries where like we know Luther's a bad guy because we see the behind the scenes. We know he's a murderer. We know he's petty. He's a liar. His motivations are all about killing Superman, but. His motivation inspires him to make America like the greatest place in the world, like peace on earth over there, and because he wants to beat Russia, right? Right. And it's like, so technically, everybody's prospering because of this awesome guy that we know is evil. So I wonder, you know, if you just let Dr. Doom rule the earth like he wants, would it be a cool place? Would he, like, make sure there's no poverty or hunger, or would he just be a jerkhead? I don't know. I think... Wanting wanting to be respected out of a sense of ego is not great. No. But that has to go to hand in hand with a certain amount of, like, um, what's the word for being competence? Uh-huh. Like, if Dr. Doom is competent at running a country, then he may be able to get by most of the time. Mm-hmm. But definitely going into position of leadership just because you think you're the awesome. And yes. Yeah. Is, is, is something that we have personally seen not working out so well yeah i mean we know he's a scumbag but apparently his people don't so that probably means he doesn't treat them badly at least more or less i'm trying to decide if on page eight Mm -hmm. in all the excitement none of us stopped to ask who is the ruler of latveria (laughs) okay yeah i gave some thought to this is this believably human or unforgivably dumb Okay, so initially when I read that, I just laughed out loud and thought to myself, bat fail. Because every time I think a superhero does something super, super stupid, I call it bat fail. Because uh, Batman did a lot of that in the Golden Age. But uh, mm-hmm. this is early days. So is it common knowledge that Doctor Doom is the ruler of Latveria? I don't know. Oh, shoot. You know what? It's not. Because that was part of the plot in the Fantastic Four annual. They were meeting with emissaries from Latveria because they did not know the shadow ruler. Right. So you're right. This is probably a recent revelation. They had not thought about it. So they probably know because they read the 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 debrief from Fantastic Four or something like that. But then right. they just didn't think about it. Right. I don't know. Like, who's the ruler of Iran right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's probably not Ayatollah Khomeini. 
but that's the name I associate with the ruler of Iran. And I think that's because that was the 80s. <laughs> it's Dr. Doom, obviously. It's Dr. Doom, obviously. So if somebody said, you know, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so shenanigans get involved. I had a note on page 11. Uh-huh. Uh, they face off with the Avengers. How right you are, Captain America. I have observed your every move since the four of you arrived in Latveria. So I guess Dr. Doom is just not going to confess that he was spying on them in New York. Oh, well, yeah. He doesn't want anyone to know how much of a creeper he is. Well, he did blow up his TV, so he hasn't seen him in a while. That's true. But like, he's been watching them for a while. (laughs) It was kind of a trip to see the Avengers and Dr. Doom in the same panel. I don't think that's a thing that happens often. Dr. Doom is one of those bad guys that does get brought into other people's stories like once in a blue moon. Mm-hmm. But like any one particular character is not going to see Dr. Doom very often unless it's a Fantastic Four. Yeah. Like I know there's a Daredevil story. And Spider-Man. I think only, yeah, Spider-Man. Between annual, I'm sorry, between issue number five and annual 14, Spider-Man and Dr. Doom don't see each other. It's too bad Iron Man isn't on the team right now because I've always been kind of interested and I'm sure they've written stories and someone can write in and tell me what stories those are. But I've always been interested in the in how those two compare because they're both armor, Actually, armor dudes. You know? I haven't read hardly any of them, but I do know that Iron Man versus Doctor Doom is definitely a thing they've worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that Doctor Doom's mystical side gets brought into those stories sure. because on a technological level, his... I mean, he has the same concept as Iron Man, but he is not on Iron Man's level. Yeah, I'd as hope far not. As the, their, their suits. I'd hope not. But he is the smartest person in the entire world and the bestest, bestest guy. Right. So, right. I don't know. Um, page 14. Uh-huh. Um, she casts a hex at Doctor Doom and says, this never happened to you before. My hex power's not working. Surprise, no need to be. It was a simple matter for me to create a device to nullify your childish power. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, really? Because... No one else even understands what her power is or how it works. Yeah. Again, I think this is a an art versus dialogue thing, but I don't really okay because I don't really see what that is doing. I guess it's just a little thing nullifying her power. But then later she's like, "You haven't nullified anything. I'm amazing." But then you don't see it. She just says it. Right. So right. It's like I don't know what's going on. I feel like Don Heck was just all over the place, and the two and the writer and the artist were not having their meeting that week or something. Maybe he got behind on this one, just had to crunch it out. Yeah. But I do love that Hawkeye brings up his experience fighting Iron Man. That's great. Makes perfect sense. He used the same dissolver that he used on Iron Man that actually worked on him too. That's great continuity. Right. I thought that was awesome. So like, there's a lot of good stuff that comes out in the technicalities of how this, of of the story. Mm -hmm. That's not as that's better than maybe the story itself. Yeah, so what did you think of uh, the old FF's appearance? That was kind of a throwaway too, sort of, huh? Yeah, it really was just to I think I think the FF have appeared in every Doctor Doom story. Oh, is that true? That's probably true. Yeah. For now. Well, I can't remember where Doctor Doom's appeared besides here in Spider-Man. That's about it, but he, they were in Spider-Man, weren't they? They wow. were in Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so I already mentioned the, uh, the, the last issue or the next issue box um, – it's an, it's an exciting way to cross in 1966, just the synergy among the titles. Mm-hmm. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was my pretty much the takeaway from this show tonight is lots of cool first appearances and a lot of uh, crossing over. Yeah, which yeah. is good. Yeah, that's cool. It's no big so, G, but it was cool. <laughs> Speaking of, next episode, 
the Fantastic Four 48. The coming of bald, half-naked Greek dudes. <laughs> Pitchfork then, Yeah. <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man 34. The thrill of the hunt with the return of Craven. Mm. And that will bring us to the end of 1965. Then going into 1966, we have the X-Men 18. If Iceman should fail against Magneto. And wrapping up with Daredevil 12. If this be justice, where he's up against the Plunderer's Men and there's Kazar and all sorts of stuff. Daredevil 14? That's 12 cents. Yeah. You said Daredevil 12. I'm just making sure they read Daredevil 14. (laughs) We've done 12 already. (laughs) We've already done 12. We're still on that story. I'm sorry. I don't even, my brain remembers saying 14. So that was a weird disconnect. Yeah. uh, Between my mouth and my brain. (laughs) All right. So yeah, now you know what to read. Make sure you read the right issue of Daredevil. Yeah. You can read 12 again if you want. That's the first part. Yeah. But, you know. So once they've read for next issue and they're ready to tell us what they think or go find the episode or anything else they want to do for the show, what should they do? Yeah. If you want to hear the coverage we did of Daredevil 12, it's on this site called makearsmarvel.com. All the other episodes are on there, too. I tagged those episodes. So if you're just interested in a certain character, you could even probably filter by that. But why would you do that? Listen to all of them. Follow along with us. Um, you can do that by typing Make Ours Marvel into your favorite podcast app. We will show up. And if you'd like to send us a letter, which we read sometimes, love feedback, you could do so through the website. There's a contact form. Or you could write directly to podcast at makeoursmarvel.com. I can be reached on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Mike can be reached on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I have two other shows I do. One is about Transformers, which, you know, just happened to have been published by Marvel and also by Marvel UK. So Return to Cybertron is a Transformers UK podcast. You can find on Twitter at TFUK Podcast. I also talk about every issue published by Image Comics from the beginning. Um, so if you want to hear about pouches and, um, you know, action and fun 90s goodness that maybe isn't deep, but often had a lot of really cool ideas going on, that is over at All The Pouches, an, an Image Comics podcast on Twitter, at All The Pouches. Um, so yeah, I guess that's our episode. That's it. So we will be here next week. So until then, or until a Nazi joins the Howlers... Make ours marvel. marvel.